Rebel Goddess Reclamation was born out of the desire to celebrate the sacred feminine. You can look forward to goddess myth and storytelling from all cultures, interviews with inspiring rebel women, and learning about nature-based Sabbaths and any other goddess-loving sexy content that floats the boats of your two founding sisters. We know that in recognizing the radiance in others that we are recognizing the radiance in ourself. As rebel women, we empower ourselves and others without apology or harm, aware and in awe of our united potential. We welcome both the delicious light and exquisite shadow, knowing that this paradox is the source of sacred power. With the wisdom of our ancestors and the hope of all future descendants, we release that which does not serve and manifest that which does. We lean into the unknown with grace, making our own rules and then breaking them. I am your dark sister, Sam. I am your red sister, Sarah. And, and we, we are, are Rebel, Rebel Women, Women with Teacups. If you're here for just the goddess story and want to skip the tea review, we'll see you at 24 minutes in. Hello, Sarah Monroe. <laughs> well, hello, Sam Spy Collie. How the hell are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty pumped to do our first podcast and our first tea review. Yes, I'm so excited to do this. I love that. This is just something that literally organically just a few days ago fell out of our brains and it has felt right ever since. Yeah. Well, we had the podcast idea for over a year, actually yeah. anniversary a year, as you pointed yeah. out the other day, the the idea of a podcast happening in the works and creating content and fine tuning it. But the idea of reviewing a tea smacked us in the face yes. like three days ago. Yes. Yes. And I will start this out by saying that Sam is most certainly more of a tea connoisseur than I am. I'm usually a coffee drinker, but I always love trying new things. And I've wanted to open up my palate with tea for the longest time. So what better way to do it than on a podcast? Yeah. So you're bringing us our first tea today. You want to tell us yeah. about it? Yes. So um, I had seen this place, um, didn't like I read the sign and I knew kind of like, oh, that's cute, but never really stopped at it. So it's called the Enchanted Candle Apothecary. It's owned by a woman named Misha, and she is the cutest. Incredible. Yes. And she has fantastic stories, and she loves talking. Um, she loves sharing things. And that's um, so I, on the recommendation of someone I know, I decided to pop in with no preconceived notions about what to expect. And when you walk in, it just, it's so comfortable and it's the most beautiful burnt orange color. And she just has a wall full of herbs. And that's just like right in the heartstrings right there. And she has wanted to have this business for years upon years upon years and nothing really ever worked out for her. And then... She decided one day that it was just time. And so she brought forth the Enchanted, Enchanted Candle Apothecary. It is located in Miamisburg, Ohio, which, fun fact, if I'm not incorrect, Miamisburg, Ohio is the only Miamisburg in the whole of the United States. Mm. So sometimes when I Google something, it'll go, are you sure it's Miamisburg? So I always thought that was funny. And... um. The first tea I got from her was back in October. Um, 
which is my favorite month, my favorite holiday, and my birthday is all wrapped up into that. And she has a tea called All Hell's Eve. And according to her website, this is this is how she describes it. And she's very particular about how she describes things. So All Hell's Eve tea is caffeine-free. It's high in antioxidants and alpha hydroxy acids. And the pl- the favorite blah, blah, blah. The flavor profile is the colors of fall full. Ow, hold on. <laughs> Every time I hear blah, 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 I think of um, the, the vampire, um, the cartoon vampire with yes. Adam Sandler. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. <laughs> That's good. That's good. That's funny. It does sound like him. And look, and it's all House Eve. Look, oh everything's God. just making sense. So the flavor profile and composition is how it's word. The colors of fall full. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. Flavor profile and composition. The colors of fall leaves swirl around in this cup of red rubios tea with warm tones of yellows and browns from soft calendula pe- petals, ground cinnamon, and a tea-sized bushel of apple pieces. Mm. This tea is sure to help you celebrate the season any time of the year. Did I say Rubios correctly? I think it's Roybus, but Roybus. I'm not positive. Um, hey, when it's, we're learning. <laughs> when I used to work at the health food store, we sold it uh, in bulk as well. And one of my leaders there, who I idolized because he was super intelligent and like knew everything about the body and all of the ways that it worked, because he um, he was studying to be a doctor, but then he went a different direction. And when I first started training there, he had corrected me and told me it was rooibos, and I said, "Got it." And he was like, "It means red bush," and then just stared at me. <laughs> It was funny. I have that memory sweetly in my heart. (laughs) I'm so glad you shared that with us. That's so funny. So when you look at it, you can see the the sweet little calendula for sure. And this is dried. I'm looking at it. And you can see the apple pieces. Like I almost want to nibble on them like dehydrated apple. Yeah. Um, And there's some, I don't know if it's like cloves or what, but there's some like woodsy pieces in there too. Mm Mm-hmm. And it smells yeah. uh, definitely cinnamon, like red hot cinnamon. Yeah, there's, and it's definitely apple. Yeah, you get that like that mouth. astringent, um, like citrusy kind of mm, acidic. Yeah. I guess oh, it's so lovely. Comfort. Yeah, it really is. It definitely feels like fall. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And the way she described it was like apple pie. She said it was one of her favorites. Oh yeah, yeah. And she's normally a black tea drinker, is what she told us, but she really loves All Hallows Eve. I am also classically a black tea drinker, and th- but this is a caffeine-free blend. Yes. Which, you know, me being a, a novice at the whole tea game, I can assume that you can add, like, a green tea, like a plain green tea, petals, mm-hmm. to add some caffeine. Mm-hmm. Would you say that that would be okay? Yeah, for sure. Well, I, personally, I would probably add black tea to it over green tea because mm. green tea can taste, I mean, well green. And I think, too, the longer you brew green tea, the more likely it is to get bitter. But I find with black yes. tea, I can let it sit for a long time, and then it, it, it takes a while for it to get that bitter bite. Okay. That's good to know. And doesn't ca- does caffeine have more... I'm sorry. Does black tea have more caffeine than green tea? Generally, yes. 
And then does white tea have more caffeine than everything else? Almost none. Oh, white tea has almost none. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it's like the lighter the leaf, the general rule of thumb is the lighter the leaf, the less caffeine it has. Okay. Is white white tea the, like, baby leaves? It's the younger petals? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so for most tea, it's all coming from essentially the same plant, aside from red bush. Um, but they, <laughs> they just cultivate the leaves at different times um, and then – or from different spots on the tree or they're roasting it in different ways um, or fermenting it or whatever, um, however they're processing it. And then that's what makes it the different type of tea at the end. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Getting my education. So I've put it – I've been letting mine steep for a little bit, and it's got this beautiful caramel. Caramel color. Yeah, that's a great way to describe but it. But it smells just like apple pie. Like the apple, it's, it smells like applesauce, like if you were cooking applesauce in your house. Yeah, it really is heavenly. So I'm, are you drinking yours yet? Uh, I'm not. I'm still brewing it. There was no um, brew instructions with it when she gave it to us. Are there any online, like how long to brew it? Um, Let me check. I feel uh no, okay. at least not on the page that describes, not the tea catalog okay. page. My apples are starting to swell up too, real nice. Yeah, they look um, almost spongy when they get to their like full full fatness. So, and I have not drank this tea before um, with without any. I drank it one time before, but it had cream and sugar in it, so I have not had it just like free balled before. Now, I am, generally speaking, because I do tend to drink more green tea, but I also haven't, like, super expanded my palate on it. It's just like with wine. When I started drinking wine, it was the sweet teas. And now, you know, I don't know, almost 20 years later, right in the heart right there, almost 20 years later, it's like, give me the dry wines all the time. So, you know, it's just, it's learning what your palate likes and knowing that your palate is going to change over time. That's true. I go through cycles. It's like I can't stop drinking Earl Grey tea and then I absolutely cannot drink Earl Grey for a while and then I'm on to chai tea and it's chai tea straight for five months. Yeah. The one thing I'm I'm going to, it's not that I don't like chai tea because I actually love chai tea, but I've noticed that it gives me like a strange tickle in my throat. Oh, <laughs> Not that I'm allergic to, because I'm not allergic to anything that I know of, but it's just, it's like the first few minutes of drinking something chai, it's just like a weird tickly feeling, and then once my, once I've had enough of it, it's fine. Um, But that kept me from drinking chai for quite some time until I realized, and it's not that it's uncomfortable, it's just, um, or that it hurts, it's just a weird feeling, Mm. but the taste of chai is freaking heavenly, Mm. and that's why I kind of keep going forward with it well that's good because i definitely got like three types of chai when we went oh that's good to the enchanted candle apothecary the other day so we are for sure going to be reviewing more than one company um we chose this company though because it was local to us so if you were local to the dayton area like i said she's located in miamisburg ohio um it looks like a little house it feels like a home when you walk in even though it's a shop Um, But if you have any recommendations on local companies that sell tea that you think would be awesome for us to review or experience, uh, let us know. Hit us up on Instagram, um, email us, whatever you think is um, whatever you think is good or an easy access point for you, because we would love to find out about more locally uh, created tea Mm -hmm. companies. 
Okay, so I've had my first few sips, and it's very nice. It feels very much like a dessert tea. I just added some sweetener to it because I think that's how I wanted it the most. Um, so what kind of sweetener? Uh, just unprocessed cane sugar. It's like a little bit golden granular sugar. And I have these sweet little gold um, tasting spoons <laughs> that match all of the gold edges on my teacups. That's so sweet. I All the dainty <laughs> shit. I love it. I originally got them because Ayla likes little spoons. She used to use like tasting spoons when she was little, little. And then as she got older, she kept using tasting spoons. So whenever we eat yogurt or something or ice cream, we use like the smallest spoons, which like if you go to Europe or something and get gelato, they give you these itty bitty spoons. And then I feel like you appreciate it more. But also it's mm. just beautiful to have it. Yeah, that's true. Now, I do want to shout out that I think this would be fun that each time we also talk about our teacups. Mm. So these teacups are special to my heart. So when um, I was, I did not think about, and I even talked to her this morning, my mom, about finding the origin story of these. So I like quick text her, but I haven't heard back. So if I'm incorrect on this story, then I'll just uh, correct it our next uh, tea time. But these are a white... Uh, Japanese china or fine china made in Japan. They are white and they have the most beautiful, delicate red, I'm sorry, pink roses on the inside of the teacup. There's one um, bigger one and then around the side and we'll post a picture of it on our Instagram. Um, little pink flowers, not necessarily roses, but, um, my aunt had a complete set of this china and my mom had a complete set of this china. My fuzziness around the story is I can't remember if it was something that was gifted to my mom from my uncle who was in the air force and who traveled a lot. Him and his wife, um, were both in the air force and they would always bring back these really beautiful, um, ornate things. It's either that or... Now that I'm thinking about it, the my aunt who had a uh, a whole set of it, it could have been from her and or her husband gifted it to my mom. I'm not 100% sure, but my mom had a china cabinet that the china cabinet came from her grandmother. So it was my great grandmother. And um, we rarely use them. Sometimes I would kind of like corner my mom into using them when I was younger, just because it was like they're sitting in there and they're so pretty. Why aren't we using these things? She gifted them to me when I first moved out of the house um, because she knew how much I loved them and she really wasn't using them. And although I have used them in the past, I have not used them as much as I wanted to. And then when Sam and I got to talking about the teacups, I'm like, I have a ton of teacups. This is perfect. And, you know, we'll find most of ours through thrifting because, you know, thrifting is the best mm -hmm. and it's cheap and I love it. And you can always find just random things at the store um, but these are very near and dear to my heart because, uh, because how much I've, how long I've loved them since, since before I can remember. And, um, so I gifted a teacup and saucer to Sam because I wanted her to experience it. So we're drinking from matching teacups, but in separate yes. spaces. <laughs> yes. Because she's in her home and I'm in mine. Yes. Um, also about the teacups, the outside has yeah. these sweet little, um, like diagonal waves on it that make it nice to it. I don't know. It feels like it kind of sits in the hand. Like it gives it some textile input, not textile, yeah. tactile, tactile input. 
why don't you share how we came to oh yeah the tea idea shit yeah this is a good one this is a good one well and and all of this and then okay <laughs> yes <laughs> so I uh I love thrifting and I was at the thrift store and I saw these two teacups and one um had these big like bountiful red full roses on it and um and then with gold edges and the matching saucer was the same it had this rose border and then with gold edging along the plates and then there was this other one this other super sweet teacup and it was like like vintage but like mod vintage and so there were um really delicately edged uh black flowers like the the outline of them was black and then it almost looks like watercolor smear in between um in between the black sketches and i could see these two teacups and i could see one was very specific me which was like the black mod vintage and one was very specific sarah which was the big beautiful um red flowers and i could see sarah drinking out of this teacup and i was like done and i just picked them up and i was like these are for us and i'm gonna give this beautiful red rose teacup to sarah but i didn't tell her about it and i didn't actually end up gifting it to her because it sat in my cabinet and i wanted to use it and i was like it doesn't feel right even though i bought it with intentions to gift it it didn't feel like right and so then i was struggling with like you know being selfish and like the ego just like wanting to like hoard these things um but then I posted a picture on Instagram of the teacup and then it ended up coming up in this drum workshop. We were talking about ritual and I, one of the original reasons I had thought to get teacups was because I drink tea so much so that it became like this numbing thing. Like I would set up before I left the house, you know, I'd have five separate beverages. I don't think about food that I eat necessarily, but I very much plan my beverages that I'll be drinking throughout the day because I don't want to be without a hot beverage in my hand because I'm obsessed with tea. And um, and so my thought was if I put it in a teacup that I would drink it slower and I would enjoy the ritual and even like the sound of, you know, things clanking with it, it would give me a chance to get out my pretty gold spoons and, you know, just have a moment and, and really ritualize and celebrate the the experience of tea. So, so that was like my going into it, but it comes up in this red drum workshop that we were doing about creating ritual and, um, and, and building ceremony around things. And Sarah asked me to speak about these teacups that she had saw on my Instagram. And then I was like, had to disclose, well, technically I like kind of bought it for you, but like, you just, you just didn't get it. <laughs> um, and then we were, okay, so you're going to have to help me fill this out because I feel like it's patchy for me. So then this, you know, three or four days ago, we were um, sitting in the studio where we create together and I don't, I don't even remember how it initially happened. Well, you were telling me about, we were just talking about the podcast, talking about the possibilities, all the things. And then you were talking about some of the podcasts that you listen to oh. and how they kind of have a thing, like they have a thing. And I was like, oh, maybe we should have a thing. Yeah. Like and then I thought, well, what if we, right. And I thought, well, what if we review beverages like coffee or teas or even wine? And you said, well coffee's not really my thing. You're probably more of a coffee drinker. And I was like, I'm cool with tea. And then it hit you. <laughs> the whole time you were envisioning the teacup and me drinking from it in the togetherness mm. of it was like a precursor to rebel women with teacups. Yeah. 
so I beautiful. I have goosebumps right now, and that's <laughs> I love it. I I don't have control over my goosebumps, but my goosebumps definitely have control over me. And then it's like when I have goosebumps, that's my affirmative yes from the universe. And I was getting goosebumps when we were talking about it, and yeah, it was it was like I had this this vision. Um, this like feeling of clairvoyance without knowing and then I doubted it because I was like but I don't want to give it to her and then it was like okay but what is it supposed to be without even trying to like make it a thing and then it just fell into Mm -hmm. our laps and that's why I could see her drinking out of the teacup because intuitively we were being led to this moment yes and what a beautiful moment it is fucking a (laughs) fucking a I love it so did you drink your tea yet? How do you feel about it? I did. It's it is. A, I would agree. It's a it's a sweeter tea because of the you know the apple and all that. Um, I think it's lovely. I think I tend to like that really light, simple palate. Like even though this is packed with flavor because it is, it's still really. It tastes. It the taste on the tongue is good. It's not. It's not bitter like you were describing the way green tea can be bitter. Mm-hmm. I do like it. Did you put sweetener or anything in yours? No, mine is just, mine's naked. I don't think actually, I don't think I might like it with sweetener because I feel like it's sweet enough, but that's just Mm -hmm. me for right now. Now, I would be willing to try it with, try it again with the the half and half or some type of a -hmm. a creamer, Um, but mine unfortunately is no longer any good. So we're just going to have to wait (laughs) until next time. I've had it in there for quite some time, and I was like, oh, I wonder if it's any good. It is not. Did it get all weird and coagulated on you when you poured it in? It didn't get to that point, but it definitely has that weird, sweet smell, mm. like that weird smell where you're just like, nah, it's, let's not. Yeah. So let me ask you, because you do like cream, or you like some type of cream, like that fattiness that, that rolls around your mouth. Yes. Because I remember you very clearly describing it to me that way. Yes. Because up until that point, I hadn't really ever tried to put cream in any of my teas. I've always just been like a plain tea drinker. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you like to put into it? Uh, into this specifically, this tea? or you uh, mean Just in general. Yeah. So classically, I will either drink um, like plain black tea, whether it's English breakfast or Irish breakfast. It's like a little bit more slappy. Um, or Earl Grey. Those are the ones I'm vibing with presently. And then uh, half and half and, because I like the mouthfeel. I like the way it like coats the tongue and it has a little bodiness or it has, has more body and heaviness to it. And I feel like I can um, – I can feel it sitting in my belly a little bit more. Like if I'm just going to drink tea and not have breakfast for a while, it it feels like it's a little bit of something, some calories to have my body burning. Uh, yeah. But in an act of super self-care slash possible gluttony, <laughs> I definitely bought <laughs> heavy whipping cream to like pump it up a little bit. Um, so I have also been adding a tiny dash of heavy whipping cream to my black tea for these cold winter months to keep my bones warm from the inside. Mm, (laughs) I love that. My layer of winter fat. The thing is with whipping cream though, you have to stir it. Like if you just pour it in, it'll go straight down to the bottom and then it doesn't, um, it doesn't play nice with the tea unless you agitate it some. So do you usually put it in the bottom and then add the tea and that disperses it or? No, I usually, uh, I brew my tea right in the mug and, um, or teacup and then I pour it into the mug or teacup and then I stir it with my sweet little spoon. Okay. Now that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Okay. Beautiful. So today, Sam, I'm going to tell you about Andraste slash Boudicca. And I want to give a trigger warning at the beginning because we will be talking about uh, sexual violence and physical body violence that happens inside their story. Now, Andraste is the goddess herself. Boudicca is a physical woman, but to be able to tell you about Andraste, I have to tell you about Boudicca because to some, their stories are literally one and the same and, um, and you'll find out. So the bulk of our story is going to happen between, um, 60 and 61 AD, Anno Domini, after death. (laughs) That's the way I like to say it. So um, I also want to um, caveat this with the majority of the information we have has been given to us by a Roman historian um, named Dio Cassius. And he lived a hundred years or so after Boudicca's story. And he investigated like 80 volumes of information to be able to find literally the littlest information that we do have about her. So, but I need to go back from the 60, 61 AD and and Boudicca's time. I need to go back about 100 years. So in that 100 years previous, you know, the um, Britain, that wasn't actually Britain at that time. Um, They weren't all those like formed colonies, at least not that I'm aware. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But the Romans being the Romans, they came in and they conquered but they conquered in a way where it was kind of like, just so you know, this is Roman's land. This is Rome's land, but we're not really going to fuck with you. It's really how it went down. So um, the inner island tribes really had nothing to do with the Romans. The Romans kind of kept to them- themselves and the inner island tribes kind of kept to themselves, except for the the tribes who really interacted the most with the Romans were the um, like the coastal um the coastal tribes, because they would do trade. So the coastal tribes are like making a buck with the Romans and they're doing good. And all these other tribes are just kind of like chilling by themselves. So we get to um, about a hundred years later ish around then. And the emperor or Caesar of Rome was, um, Claudius. Now Claudius was a man who had a lot of physical body issues. Um, and in that time it was, it was amazing even in that time that he was able to take the throne because people with body, um, issues, they never, they rarely ever, I mean, like sometimes they would be killed off just because they were considered a shame to the family. So he is the king And he feels like he has to make his name known. So he goes over and he, he, he makes Rome basically, um, go, I don't, I don't want to say battle, but they definitely with force take back over these tribes. So these tribes had, you know, autonomy, um, and then now they're under Roman rule. So, um, like with, with an iron fist, as opposed to the hundred years of just chilling and knowing that they were quote unquote, a Roman entity, but they never really had to deal with them. So they were forced by the Roman soldiers to get rid of um, all of their weapons, except for weapons that they could use to go hunting. So anything that could be considered uh, a battle um, weapon, they had to get rid of. But we know, I mean, you would imagine that 
they would be stockpiling these back somewhere just because that would be the smart thing to do. Like you can't, you can't, you know, give all of your power away, even if you have to be quiet about it. So (laughs) exactly. Like these are like, I think about this sometimes, like these were fucking scary times. Like you just never, you never knew who's going to roll into your village. 60 AD. You never, yeah, crazy shit. Okay. Within the tribe. So Boudicca, is the queen of the Iceni tribe. Her husband, Pursuticus, was p- placed into his station. Um, at one time, it was his brother that was in the station. I can't, I apologize, I can't quite remember if the brother died or if he usurped the throne um, or if the village was, like, tired of his brother's shit, so they put him in the place. But it was also a an agreement that was made with Pursuticus, the king of the Iceni, and Claudius, the emperor of Rome, or the Caesar of Rome. So with the agreement, and technically it was like a will, um, so that when, um, whenever Pursuticus would pass away, his tribe, his land would go to halfway to the Caesar of Rome and halfway to his two daughters that he had with his, um, his wife, Boudicca. And so I'm laying all the groundwork, laying all the groundwork. So Boudicca was believed to be a priestess, a Druid priestess before her marriage to Prasuticus. Um, They were a fine match. Um, what, what information we have, there is a deep love between the two of them. Uh, they have two daughters. Their two daughters are, we don't know them in the history books. There is no name given to the two daughters. We just know that they were in their teenage years. The Roman soldiers are just like living their life in these areas, you know, coming in and taking what they want when they want. But um, there is somewhat of a freedom to the tribes that they can keep doing what they're doing as long as they know that the true ruler is Claudius. So I want to say it's within like a 20 year span of this agreement happening. I it, I feel like it happened in 42 AD. So within a 20 year span of this agreement happening, um, Claudius died and he was, um, the, and the person who took over the throne, Claudius didn't have any heirs to the throne. So his nephew Nero took over. Now Nero was known in history as one of the most sadistic sons of bitches that had ever sat on the throne of Rome. Like he's just a bad dude. Um, and it is believed, it is not proven, but it is believed that he was one of the factors of Claudius passing away because he wanted to, he, he didn't want to wait anymore. He didn't want to wait for his feebled uncle to pass away. He wanted the throne and he wanted it now. And it's also believed that his mother had a, a part in doing that as well. Nero would go on to, um, uh, kill his wife, kill his mother. Um, and there was somebody else, um, important that he killed because he was so, um, I don't think that he was fearful of losing his throne. I just think that he was so full of himself that when he was tired of your shit, he would get rid of you. So that's Nero. In this time frame of Pursuticus, mm. I'm sorry, of Claudius passing away and Nero taking over Prasuticus, the king of the Iceni tribe, Boudicca's husband, also passes away, also under questionable circumstances and within the uh, within the people of his tribe, like like his his top dogs. There is wonderings if he was poisoned um, because he was fine and then all of a sudden he wasn't. And it was from the 
information that I've looked into and the um, the way it's been portrayed, it is not by Boudicca's hand that this happened. Um, because she knew her station was more stable with her husband intact. And um, so Pursuticus passes away mm. and Nero, according to the history, Nero no longer saw the contract that Claudius and Pursuticus had as valid because both the people passed away. Even though it was like his will, Nero did not recognize him as a true king. And he did not recognize the agreement that the previous king, his uncle, had uh, laid into place. Pursuticus, I'm sorry, Claudius wanted to have peace within the village. Like, he just wanted to chill with them. He didn't want any problems. He wanted them to know that he was king. And, but he, you know, there, he, there was no need for him to be sadistic. Right. Okay. So, Pursuticus passes away. Soon after that, there comes a time when the Roman soldiers on the orders of their, you know, of the high orders of how it trickles down, they are meant to go in and um, take a stock of everything that the village has and then take what they want. And when they came in, Boudicca was like, nah, bitch, that ain't happening. You ain't doing that all my time. And they're like, oh, you want to play that? (laughs) She's like, bring it. And they brought it. Um, So one of the One of the scenes that's portrayed, I shouldn't say scene, one of the um, situations that's portrayed is that Boudicca is dragged to the center of town and she is um, hung up and uh, whipped badly in front of all of her people. And then to add insult to injury, her daughters are tied to planks in front of her as she is tied up. And they are assaulted by Roman soldiers. And so. Sexually assaulted. I'm sorry? Sexually assaulted. Sexually assaulted by by Roman soldiers. Correct. So when they untied her, they, you know, they they left all of them just, just sitting there in the center of town. And Boudicca decided to, or in her anger, in her, um, Knowing, knowing in her bones what her station was, she forced herself to get up. She forced her daughters to get up and they walked through the center of town from the center of town. They walked through to the steps of their home. And I think personally that made a big statement to her people that, you know, you literally can knock me down, but I will always get back up. Mm -hmm. So a week or so, maybe maybe a few weeks longer goes by, and Boudicca is quiet. She's at home, she's healing, and she's um, scheming. She has quietly sent word to the uh, brother tribes of, of Britain that she believes will stand in allegiance because if what happened to her can happen, it can happen to anybody. So quietly, these uh, the leaders of these other villages... Um, come to her side and they hatch a plan to um, make an assault on um, on the Roman soldiers. Now, we have to put this into perspective. This is 61 AD and for men to follow women is fucking wild. Mm. Fucking wild. They don't they don't follow women into battle. That just doesn't happen. I mean, I know that there are certain um, cultures where women were warriors and that wasn't something unusual, but that was not the case here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so 
Now we're going to get into Androste's story and what little we actually know about Androste. Now, Boudicca's, the translation of her name actually translates into victory, and that is Androste was the warrior goddess. You called on her the eve before war because you wanted victory. Okay, so Androste, Androste is a Celtic warrior goddess, and she's often compared to Morrigan, um, the Irish goddess of war. So they're very, they're, their lines are very parallel. In her dark aspect, Androste... In her darkest aspect, she would be seen as the crone, the dark mother, represented by the waning moon, the cutter of threads, the one to whom all return. Hmm. Now, this is um, something that I found. It was so beautifully phrased. I felt there was no reason to rewrite this. Um, there is a website called Coven of the Flame. And this is one of the um, things that I found in investigating Androste and some of her, her origins. So I thought that was beautiful. And then they go on to say her dark side is tempered by her aspect as Andred because there is the possibility that Dio Cassius mistranslated Androste and it should be Andred. Um, here she is the lunar mother goddess figure associated with fertility and love, the creator and the bringer of life. It's also possible that another of her aspects, her maiden youthful side, um, was also worshipped as the god of, goddess of the hunt. As a lunar goddess, the maiden mother crone triplicity would most certainly have been venerated. So we see this in the history of a lot of goddesses that their um, Shakti is a great example where she is seen as one entity with many faces because just like us as humans, we are one person. However, we have our anger and we have our happy, we have our sad, we have our sensuality, we have our, you know, um, digging our heels in. There's so many different aspects of us as who we are that a lot of the times the goddess archetype is also celebrated into these different sections of who they rep or who they can represent by different names. And that was, you know, an easier association, I think, for people to be able to um, hold on to it was something not necessarily tangible in the physical realm but mentally it was tangible that Morrigan and Androste were the goddesses of war and when we needed assistance with war those those are who we turn to but when we needed love and fertility and celebration this aspect of them is what we turn to that type of thing okay so there's uh, Boudicca is scheming with her brother tribes and they Follow her into battle. And when I say this bitch was ruthless, this bitch was ruthless. There she, there was no holds bar. Nobody was spared. Not a single person was spared. Um, women, children, men, but she especially went after noble women. Like that was, she was cruel to these noble women. Um, she is known to have... Um, sliced the breasts off of the women and sewed them to their mouth so it looked like they were eating their breast and then they would impale them so that when the roman you know the the next wave of roman soldiers would come through and find out what happened they would they would come upon the site mm -hmm. and um personally i think that that was a um a payback in a, in a way for a them not seeing that her status as queen, not seeing her royalty and um, 
and for what they did to her and her daughters. I think that that was the payback for it. But here's the craziest thing. Here is why she is so heavily associated with um, Androste. So one of the um, totems of Androste is her, um, is a hare, a rabbit, especially a white one. So on the eve of battle, she would invoke Androste. She would give her speech in front of her men and um, she would invoke Androste. And then on the fucking battlefield, she would again invoke Androste. And you've got the Iceni tribe with all of their brother tribes down one side of the field. You'd have the Romans down the other side of the field. And here's this fucking woman about to lay down the law. And she opens the folds. I don't know if she's wearing a skirt or if it's just her long drapery, like a coat or a cloak or something like that. But she opens the folds of her cloak or skirt and outruns a fucking rabbit. Like that's like you see that on the fucking battlefield. And that's insane. Like you don't expect a rabbit to run out from the folds of anything. And so you've got this rabbit running down the field. Now, it's also important to understand that at this time um, in the British culture, or at least in the Iceni tribe, you do not hunt rabbits. Rabbits were seen as good luck. And if you hunted a rabbit and you killed it, you would be given bad luck. So it was also kind of a, I think also kind of a mind game that you've got these Roman soldiers who are, you know, hungry and already ravenous they're already tired and you know the british people know that the hair is good luck and they're not going to go after it but then you've got these romans that um they're i think that they're hoping that they'll kill the rabbit and that will be an omen of the war so you got this hair going down the field and which side of the field is also an omen to the 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 british the iceni um, and I believe it goes down the left side of the field. And that was an omen that it was going to be, you know, a good win for, for old Boudicca and her, her boys. Now, there were four battles fought with Boudicca with the invocation of Androste. Three out of the four battles, Androste and Boudicca, like, tore, tore the shit down, like, of course, you know, we're going into the 80 volumes 100 years after. So nobody was alive anymore that actually experienced the battles or any of the things. So we're just going off of the word of mostly Dio Cassius. There is some idea that at one point their army, Boudicca's army, was up to like 230,000 men. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. But it definitely did not start out that way. It started out small, but it was... Big enough to where, you know, her couple thousand men overtook a couple hundred Romans with no problem. Mm -hmm. And so each battle kept getting bigger and kept getting bigger. But on the final battle, the Romans did kind of lay confusion. They were pulling carts carts in and blocking pathways. So when the battle started happening and when Boudicca realized that they were not going to win this battle and they tried to retreat. Chaos happened and nobody could get out. Nobody could, you know, um, retreat and regroup and replan. So um, Boudicca died on the battlefield in this fourth battle. And she and her two daughters died on the battlefield as well. They were also mm -hmm. soldiers in it because she wanted them to also avenge what happened to them. Mm -hmm. But it was said that if Boudicca had won that campaign or if, Boudicca and her army had won that campaign that Nero would have pulled out of out of Britain at that time. Mm -hmm. Now, Nero only lived like 
I want to say five more years after this. It was definitely no more than 14. But, um, but yeah, so for a woman to lead men into battle, that, that shit, that shit's magic right there. Like that just didn't happen back in that time. And you almost, I mean, like you, Rome, Rome was so massive and they were such good soldiers for them to be one campaign away from pulling out completely. Like that's insane. That's crazy. And she did that with the invocation of Androste. Now, again, there is not a lot known about Androste. And even even still, there's very little known about Boudicca. Um, Boudicca, her, the only thing that was really described was that she had long brown hair that um, um, when the sun hit it, it looked like flames. And so um, that's really the only thing we for sure know about Boudicca's physical features. Um, and Androste... There's interpretations of what she may look like, but there's no like iconic look or painting or statue that we might see with um, other goddesses of higher. I don't want to say higher stature, but of more known statured. Because the only the only way we know about Andraste is exclusively through Boudicca. There's no mention in history of Andraste no. being the goddess of the hunt and all these other things. No, correct. And which is the reason why it has been postulated that Dio Cassius mistranslated Andraste and it could actually be a different, it could actually be a god, like it, instead of it being a goddess. But, um, mm. but because she was a priestess, a druid priestess that specifically followed a goddess, it was believed that she was uh, a priestess of Androste. However, there is a forest, there are, there is sacred ground dedicated to Androste. So that's why it's like, oh, what are we doing? Um, or like, you know, what's the true history? But in England, there is a forest called Epping Forest. And I believe it's closer, like it's inland, but it's closer to the coast. But I don't quote me on that. But it's called Epping Forest, and it is believed that some of the um, some of the people that were captured during um, during um, some of the campaigns, like she left, she left nobody alive. But what it is said that she might have done is taken the taken some people captured in battle and taken them to Epping Forest to um, sacrifice them to Androste. Oh, yeah. So that that is a belief that 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 is what that is what happened is that she went to Epping Forest, sacrificed human sacrifices um, to Androste. Um, now Androste is definitely whenever you're working with a deity, you need to know them. You need to like not just go in and say, "Yeah, I'm gonna work with you." You need to you need to understand their history. <laughs> you need to you need to know their likes and dislikes like um is it Lakshmi that doesn't like mess? Yes. Yeah. So if like you're 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 creating an altar to Lakshmi but your house is a f- a fucking disaster, she ain't going to like that. Like no. and she'll not be at pissed all. that you yeah. called her in without appropriately setting the stage for her. Right. Well, and if you think about Andraste, if she's taking human sacrifices, like you better have your shit on lockdown before you would try to invoke her and call upon her energy. Exactly. Like, um, whatever archetype you're working with, you're you want to know, like, especially like you just said, if if blood is a part of uh, an offering to her, 
um, that means it's serious shit. Like, that's no joke. And it is not to be taken lightly. Um, she does like uh, fresh meat. Now, there is some some question about the meat to offer her because one of the suggestions is hair, so rabbit meat. Um, but if it's one of her totems, why would you offer her rabbit meat? That's just a... Uh, that's just something that's like kicking around in my head. Like why would you kill the animal that is a representation of her kind of thing? But, um, fresh beef, uh, any type of fresh meat like that, I would say, except for, um, um, rabbit. Correct. Now there's another thing that is um, mentioned on that Coven of the Flame website that I wanted to share. It says Andraste does not appear in Celtic Gaul, though a deity name Andraste is mentioned by the Roman writer Dio Cassius, which I've talked about extensively. Andrasta and Andred, however, seem to be related to Andarta in some ways. Andarta is a probable fertility goddess revered by Gaelic Celtic tribe. I'm going to butcher it completely because they do not always spell phonetically. It looks like Funcante, V Vocante, V O C O N T I I. I do not know what that is in Gaelic. Um, but the Gaelic tribe saw Andarta as their patron. Her name seems to have been derived from um, earlier Artos, meaning bear, or R, meaning plowed land. So, like cleaning the things up, like getting, getting things ready. So that, so as it says, her name does not actually appear in anything, but like this entire life of Boudicca and what she is known for, like how, how, how many other ancient women do you know of that led men into battle? Right. Mulan might be one of the only ones. Was Mulan a real... Person? I believe so. Oh, it I didn't thinking... end the way that I don't think it ended the way that Disney is created. <laughs> um, because you know Disney likes to, yeah, fuck things up. Yeah, Miss Cleopatra, dudes followed her. Yeah, that's that's very true. And then also there was somebody that I thought of just as I said Mulan. Um, I thought that they didn't. Well, I guess I'm only going off of Disney's Mulan. I'm like they didn't even know she was a lady, but. That is I true. Know, I don't know anything about Milan. In real life. Okay, it says it's possible that she was a real person, but it is largely believed that her story is fictional. I swear on everything I thought I thought it was real. Oh, Joan of Arc. That's another one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, we have handful, like, not literally, like, we can't even count on one hand how many women have led men into battle. And even then, Joan of Arc, the, and, and if Mulan is a real story, they didn't know that she was a woman. So these were women disguised as men leading men into battle. She was an open woman leading these fuckers into battle. And yeah. she almost decimated the Roman army that was stationed in the land of Britain. Like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I just love her story as it is, like, I just love Boudicca's slash Andraste's story. And it's like, it's the only, like, it's just like this liminal space in history where there's nothing really before and nothing really after. And it's just, I don't know, like, I really, I was introduced to this by a teacher, introduced to Boudicca slash Andraste by a teacher. And when I um, did more research, it was just, I don't know, I, like, I felt 
her anger in my bones and I felt her, um, her, her desire for justice in my bones. And it was, I, you know, if we don't share stories like this, these really obscure stories, people are just not, aren't going to know. And right. so I just, I wanted to share. So then if someone wants to invoke Androste or create a space to revere and honor her. So we talked about fresh meat, which is pretty mm-hmm. intense for an altar. Mm-hmm. You'd also said um, the cutter of threads. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I could see ribbon or thread or even like a beautiful pair of scissors that has some meaning to you. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's a beautiful way to think about it. Now, a lot of the times, any ceremony that you create can be utilized, like the ceremony itself can be utilized for more than just one deity, but it's what elements are you going to pull in that create the direct connection to her? Like, um, uh, I believe it's Sarasvati. I believe that is the one that you call in when you're going to do a public speech. I could be incorrect, but there is one um, aspect of Shakti that you call in when you're going to do a public speech speaking. And you literally just have to say, I need you here with me. This, you know, this is, this is how I feel. I would love to have you at my side. Like it could be something as simple as that, or you can be very intense. Oh, so yeah. So I did do in the teacher that, that offer or that, that, um, brought me to knowing Androsti and Boudicca. Um, this was inside of training that Sam experienced as well. And the, uh, ceremony that I created for, uh, the celebration of Androsti. So I did a few things. So at the beginning I had everybody meditate on an open flame, um, because that's on red candles because that's just fucking sexy and cool, right? So I wanted to, like, pull you guys down into a space of meditating with this flame, right? Okay. So then the night before, I um, did, like, triple duty on utilizing a chicken. So we ate a whole chicken. Like, I I pulled the meat from it, gave it to my family, and then I um, put the body into water so that I can make chicken broth. But then I also harvested the bones the next morning to utilize in this, um, in this, uh, ceremony that I built. I specifically harvested the backbone because in my eyes, if you're calling on Androste, you need her to give you a hell of a backbone. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, you were offering your backbone to her so that she can give it back to you and like, like it'd be steel. Right. Mm-hmm. So that was my, That was my thought. So I had everybody pick uh, a backbone and then we wrote out what we were battling, like what we needed assistance in battling. And then we put it on right. We wrote it down on rice paper and then we put it in my cauldron, which was my Dutch oven. And um, (laughs) um, and then we poured blood over. No, I'm sorry. We poured red (laughs) wine over it to represent blood. Um. So, yes. And then, you know, we put our backbone in there with our rice paper and we said thank you. And um, so the red wine as the representation of blood was also our offering to her. We can't just like walk in to a ceremony and not have an offering for the person that we're wanting to work with. It doesn't work that way. It's like if you create an altar for someone um, like, um, uh, M- mama Brigitte, 
Um, she likes spiced rum. You can put in just a dabble of spiced rum to every day and like throw out the, you know, the previous day's rum and just put a little splash in there every day. And you're feeding that to her. You can set a cigar on her altar because she loves cigars. Like you're feeding into the person and the best way to describe it, to describe it, or that's been described to me is that it's like you're feeding into a bank every day. You're putting a quarter into the bank so that when it's time to cash out, there's something to cash out with. Because you have paid reverence and respect to this particular person. We can't just like walk in with our hands empty and go, give it to me. No, we need to give something to them. It's like going to a dinner party. And if you expect to be fed and receive from the hostess, then you bring a hostess gift and you are polite. And you know what I mean? You, You acknowledge what they are giving you, that they are in service to you. And so you are in service to them. And if it's missing that part, if you just ask, then it's it's very selfish and one-sided. And then that's what you'll get from the goddess that you call upon. Yeah, you'll get get very little, if anything at all, and most times nothing at all. I think about it um, like the (laughs) – in Aladdin when um, the Cave of Wonders appears and like the the big sand tiger like pops out when they put the scarab together and he's like, who disturbs my slumber? (laughs) And it's like if you're going to disturb the slumber of these goddesses, it better be for something like legit and you better put enough in that bank account so that they are – you know, you're not coming up empty-handed. That's beautifully described. I love it. Yes. Otherwise, I mean, you'll either get, you know, shit on a stick back or you'll get nothing. And then you'll be like, craft is baloney and and this isn't even worth anything. And it's like, no, lady, you're the problem. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I'm so glad that you said that. Yes. That's beautiful. Very well said. So times that people would call upon Andraste, you know, times of them being in battle, times when you need that really strong backbone, times when, you know, you might need to make a big mess of things. You need to storm the castle, essentially, or stand up for yourself. Yeah, that's absolutely. Speak your truth. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful times and the right times to call on Andraste. She's not someone that you call on for because, um, you know, like if it's something simple like you and a coworker don't get along if as long as nothing like horrible is happening that's just that's just you call on a you call on a goddess that that brings peace but if you are going through shit with anybody she is she morgan any other war goddess like we have to accept the fact that when these deities were celebrated in their in their deepest reverence was at a time when war could happen at literally any moment. So their idea behind uh, why they would call upon Andraste in particular is a completely is a complete difference from what we would do. Like, yeah, we don't have well, we we don't have to worry about that. And I think about the battles that I fight and the the most intense ones or the ones that are like the longest and most drawn out are not the ones with other individuals. They're my own inner demons. And it's like, you know, the icky things that I say to myself or the things that I keep myself down or, you know, the ways that my um, ego prevents me from standing autonomously in my shoes. You know what I mean? I feel like that's when I would like personally for me, because I can't imagine a time where I would be that uh, aggressive and wanting to be that assertive with another individual externally, but internally there's some shit that I'm really sick of dealing with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the perfect, like 
what you think about the spectrum that is definitely like on one side and then you and 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 rightfully so like you are tired of battling these inner demons let's call on her to help you just get you know slaughter them mm-hmm. and then you've got you and it can be all the way to you know um where you're in a relationship where physical mental or emotional harm is happening and you mm-hmm. don't know how to get yourself out of it call on this bitch mm-hmm. but do it with a pure heart do not do it for revenge you're right. doing this to help you you're not doing this to 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 harm another person you're doing this to help you get out of the situation mm-hmm. which may be and it's going to get messy and it's going to be hard but when you know that you've got somebody this powerful at your back and trust me you yourself are powerful as fuck but sometimes we need to identify through the idea of uh a goddess archetype to be able to find that courage or that mm-hmm. love or that passion. And that's okay. But one day that's going to fall away and you'll realize the power is literally inside your bones. Mm-hmm. I just thought of another altar uh, item totem. If you had a little statue of a hare or of a bunny, um, that yep. might be something nice to. Yes. I 100% agree. I love it. Yay. Thank you for sharing. Yes, thank you. I'm so happy to. I wonder who my next one's going to be. I haven't decided yet, but I'm excited. <laughs> do you feel complete with Andrasti? I do. Great questions. Okay. I feel complete too. Thanks so much for listening. You can find more from your sisters on Patreon. We've got four tiers of Shakti power to choose from with all sorts of Rebel Goddess Reclamation content, as well as our website, rebelgoddessreclamation.com, where you'll find seasonal events, circle leader mentorships, and drum birthing workshop circles. You can also support us individually with our solo endeavors. Sarah's website, theartofwildpleasure.com, is your go-to for all your Red Sisters offerings, workshops, trainings, sacred menarch celebrations, mother roaster services, moon-blessed apothecary items like bath salts, candles, intention oils, and so much more. You can see what Sam, your dark sister, is up to at mattmotives.com. Matt Motives are chakra-based vinyl decals to use as focal points on your yoga mat, laptop, or wherever, serving as a reminder to rest your awareness on the qualities you want to cultivate. A third of all proceeds are donated to a nonprofit of your choosing at checkout. On the website, you can also find recorded breathwork practices, along with lots of other subtle yoga workshops and trainings. Thanks again, Wild Ones, for playing and working with the goddess right alongside us. Yes, thank you. More please.